Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Here in Acts chapter 3, you have a a very similar message to the message that we saw back in chapter 2. And if we start in verse 12, Acts chapter 3, verse 12, it says, When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Now, when it says when Peter saw it, uh, as, you know, as the word gets out about this man that had been lame, that was well known to the people there, uh, they all start to come together. They want to see this lame man that's now walking. And, and so Peter says, why, why do you marvel at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And he refers there to the events surrounding the the, uh, crucifixion of Christ or leading up to the crucifixion of Christ, uh, where Pilate gave the people the option for him to to deliver Christ to them, and they rather would have Barabbas, uh, and, and they wanted Christ crucified. And in verse 15 it says, And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Verse 16, his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, here, this man, when when he says uh, his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong. When Peter commands the man to walk, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And remember again that that name, when, when that name is invoked, when Peter uh, says to the man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, what he's, what he's doing is he's, he's invoking the authority of Christ. He's saying that he's not just as, you know, as Peter uh, commanding the man to walk, but he's doing it with the authority that Christ has. You see, and and here when he refers to the name of Christ, his name, the name of Christ through faith in his name hath made this man strong. In verse 17 now, uh, Peter says, now, brethren, I wot or I know that through ignorance ye did it as did also your rulers through ignorance. ye did it. Now he's going back to talking about the crucifixion of Christ and here Peter, you know, he certainly blames them for killing Christ. He blames them for denying Christ in the presence of Pilate. And he he says uh, in verse 15 that they killed the prince of life. But but now Peter adds something that he didn't say back in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, he didn't bring up the fact that they did this through ignorance. But you see here he says that through ignorance... They did it. To to do something through ignorance is through a lack of knowledge. Remember what Christ said when he was there on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To not know something is to be ignorant. And that's what Peter's saying here, that they did it through ignorance. Now, he's not saying that, that, you know, they were 
They were ignorant just in, in killing Jesus, but they were ignorant about who he was. They were ignorant about what they were really doing and that they were taking the Prince of Life, the Christ, the, the Messiah that had been promised to them. They were ignorant that they were taking that Messiah and putting him to death. I'll tell you one passage I, I want you to get, and, and we're gonna, it's going to be a minute before we get there, but you might as well go and turn there now, is Numbers chapter 35. Um, Numbers chapter 35, the, this, this ignorance that Israel had, and remember in both of these messages, Acts 2 and Acts 3, Peter is preaching to, he, he, you know, he's preaching to individuals certainly, but he's preaching regarding Israel as a nation. And again, not necessarily every single person there at the temple uh, was, was, you know, involved in this denying of the Lord Jesus Christ, but Peter can say, ye did it because he's speaking to them as a nation, right? And he says that they did it through ignorance. Now, um, he says even their rulers did it through ignorance. Uh, it's it's uh, interesting that, you know, the, the rulers, they had various reasons why they wanted to kill Jesus Christ. Some of them were just upset with him for various reasons. But you may remember that, that the high priest Caiaphas, had uh, he had prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the life of the nation. Now, how he interpreted that prophecy is certainly not uh, the way, you know, the way that it was actually fulfilled. Uh, I'm sure Caiaphas interpreted that prophecy as being that, you know, this one man would be sacrificed in order to, to protect the nation from the Romans or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, God had even even given these prophecies about the death of Jesus, and and uh, that played into uh, through their you know wrong understanding of some of those things that uh, ignorance that Israel had with regard to Christ. But you know, in in bringing up this issue here of the ignorance of Israel in the death of Christ, there there are some types that are fulfilled from the Old Testament. Okay. And in Numbers chapter 35, it describes uh, what are called cities of refuge. Now, there's a few things to understand about how, how things were handled in Israel. Because murder, Peter, Peter here, in accusing them of, of murder, that is an offense under the law, right? And under the law, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't have the same kind of system that we have with this lengthy appeals process and then, and then you know, a, a guarantee against cruel and unusual punishment and, and these kinds of things. Most often what happened, especially in the early days of Israel, is that if you committed a murder against somebody, uh, generally a family member of that person would become what's called the, the avenger of blood. And it would be their job to come and find you and kill you. Now, you know, if you had killed, killed someone and somebody was killing you in retribution for that, that wasn't considered murder. That was considered justice. All right? But, um, you know, you had certain situations where someone might accuse someone of murder when they weren't necessarily guilty of it. And here in Numbers 35, it, it describes these cities of refuge. Uh, you can see in, in verse 11 of Numbers 35, it says, Then ye shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person at unawares. Now, there's a difference in the Bible between a slayer and a murderer. Uh, you know, a slayer would be anybody who kills somebody. Uh, a murderer is somebody who's, you know, intentionally committing murder. 
And here it describes someone who kills someone unawares, meaning they weren't intending to kill them, uh, but what, you know, their actions result in the death of another. Now, if you come down to verse 15, uh, here again it will give a little more detail about who's to be considered this, this slayer who kills someone unawares. In verse 15 it says, These six cities shall be a refuge both for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that everyone that killeth any person unawares may flee thither. Notice verse 22. It says, But if he thrust him suddenly... Without enmity, or have cast upon him anything without laying of weight, or with any stone wherewith a man may die, seeing him not, and cast it upon him that he die, and was not his enemy, neither sought his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the revenger of blood according to these judgments. Right? So, in a case where someone unawares, you know, they throw a rock off a cliff and it turns out there's somebody down below and the person dies. He wasn't wasn't intending. He didn't do it out of enmity. He wasn't lying in wait. He wasn't uh, trying to murder the person. Okay? But you see then, uh, if if the person is a murderer, if it's premeditated murder, he just says the revenger of blood, wherever he finds him, when he meets him, should kill him and put him to death. But in this kind of case where someone didn't mean to commit this murder, there needs to be Here it describes how the congregation is going to have to judge between the slayer and the revenger of blood, uh, it says, according to these judgments. Verse 25, And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the revenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge, whither he was fled, and he shall abide in it until the death of the high priest, which was anointed with the holy oil. Now this is what the cities of refuge were for. Because if you had accidentally killed someone, you had killed someone unawares, and this revenger of blood is coming to find you, to put you to death, accusing you of murdering that person, uh, the city of refuge was a special city where you could run to. And there at the city of refuge is where they would hold the trial and they would determine. And if they determine that you were not truly a murderer, murderer if they determine that you were... Um, Simply, uh, uh, the term the Bible uses is manslayer. We, we use the term manslaughter, right? Manslaughter is when somebody has killed someone else, but it doesn't rise to the level of murder. Okay, and there's different sentences and things for that. But if you fled to the city of refuge, um, you know, having been accused of murder, they would have the trial there, and if they found you not to be a murderer, you were safe within that city of refuge. Okay, they would, it says they would restore him to the city of refuge. And you see uh, that that person, even though they're not guilty of murder, they have to remain in that city of refuge, it says, until the death of the high priest. Under, you know, under the law originally, the high priests served for the rest of their lives. And until the death of that high priest, uh, you had to stay in that city of refuge. Notice in verse 26 it says, But if the slayer shall at any time come without the border of the city of his refuge, whither he was fled, and the revenger of blood find him without the borders of the city of his refuge, and the revenger of blood kill the slayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. Now notice, even though this person is not a murderer, even though they didn't intentionally kill the person, if they come outside of that city of refuge, they're not safe. 
And that revenger of blood can take their life and he won't be guilty of murder. He's just operating there as that revenger of blood. Verse 28 says, Because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until the death of the high priest, but after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. Now, there, you know, there were various cities that were these cities of refuge, so that anywhere you went in Israel, you weren't too far away from one of the cities of refuge, but you see what, what the process there is. Um, so, so, you know, if you killed someone unawares, you could find refuge in these cities. Uh, and so you have this system. Now, it might seem like kind of a, kind of a strange thing, you know. Uh, but often when you see those kinds of things in the law that seem sort of strange, like this kind of this long, lengthy process, what you want to look for is you want to look for what's the, what's the symbolic significance of it? How is it fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, when Peter in Acts chapter 3 says that they killed the prince of life and that they did it ignorantly, they did it out of ignorance, what he's saying is that they are like this, this uh, slayer here uh, that has the opportunity to run to the city of, of refuge. Now, um, he's really going easy on them, you know, it, it seems like in a way, uh, in saying that they did it through ignorance. Certainly we can look at the things in the word of God and say, how could they have not known? But, you know, realize we have, we have a lot more perspective on that because we have the written word of God. Here Peter says they did it through ignorance, and he doesn't take away from the fact that they killed the Messiah, but he does say that they did it through ignorance. And I want you to go over to the book of Hebrews and notice something here in Hebrews chapter 6. Now the book of Hebrews takes many of those Old Testament types and figures and explains them. And sometimes it does it explicitly where it will tell you this represents that and, you know, and, and give you all those details. Sometimes in just a few words it will indicate that there is a, a fulfillment of some Old Testament type. And this is one of those cases here. If you look at Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17 says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation, now notice, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, when we read that in verse 18, it talks about fleeing for refuge. You know, certainly we can just understand that refuge. But really, it's meant there in Hebrews in the sense of those Old Testament cities of refuge. And the way that the manslayer, the slayer, would have to flee there to the city of refuge, and there is, as it describes, fleeing for that city of refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, uh, that they can flee to that city of refuge and be safe. Now, what Peter is going to do in his message here in Acts chapter 3 is he is going to relate to Israel as a nation that there is opportunity for them to be saved. That even though they've committed this sin, even though they've c- committed this, this uh, killing of the prince of life, there is a refuge available to them. That, and, and that refuge is in that same prince of life that they killed. 
Uh, Here as it describes them fleeing for refuge, it describes believers as those who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Notice it says in verse 20 that Jesus is high priest forever. Now, if you were a slayer in the Old Testament and you had killed someone unawares and you went there to the city of, of refuge, you had to stay there until the death of the high priest. But in the fulfillment of this refuge, here's it's described in Hebrews, notice the high priest of this refuge is a high priest forever. There is no death of the high priest. There's no point where you ever leave that city of refuge. And, you know, what a, what a consolation to these people here that are convicted by Peter's message as he says they are guilty of the death of the Lord, but he says they did it unawares. And if you go back to Acts chapter 3, notice what, what Peter says. Um, he says, verse 17, Now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers, verse 18, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. You did it through ignorance, but God had showed these things before that Christ was going to suffer. It's very similar to what he said back in chapter 2 when he said that all that was done according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God had shown by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer and God had fulfilled it. And he says in verse 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And verse 20 says, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. You see the... the uh, the opportunity he gives to them there to find refuge, to, to not be found outside of that city of refuge where the revenger of blood can put them to death, but to take refuge in the city where they are safe and, and until the, under the Old Testament law, until the death of the high priest, but here with Christ, a high priest that abides forever. Right? You see the refuge, you see that, that uh, rescue that's made available there to Israel. And, and uh, Peter here describes, he tells them the way they flee, there is no physical city they can flee to, to be, to be safe from the guilt of the death of the Lord. But rather, the way you flee to that refuge is through what Peter describes here, to repent and be converted. Right? He tells them, as he did in chapter 2, he says to repent, to have that change of mind. See, not to continue on in that ignorance about the Lord Jesus, but to repent, have a change of mind about him, and to be converted. And that, that word converted, uh, it just means, it means to be turned. Now, we talked about the word repentance in a previous message, and, you know, some people refer to, to repentance, or they define repentance as being a turning from sin. I, if you remember uh, that lesson, I hope you saw, repentance doesn't have to do with turning from sin. Repentance is a change of mind. But being converted here is a turning from something. In fact, I mean, that's literally what the word means. The same word is translated as to turn around or to turn again or, or just to be turned. Um, here he tells them to repent. And you see, repenting is going to be the means by which they're converted, by which they're turned to God. 
It's, it's uh, the, same, the same term that's used uh, of the Gentiles later on when, when Paul says that the Gentiles had turned from dumb idols to serve the living and true God. The idea is you were going in one direction, turn and go a different direction. You, you've been, these people here at Jerusalem, you, you've been in rebellion against God, even to the point of killing his son. Now turn, be converted, and do something else. Take a different, take a different way, take a different path. And he says, repent ye therefore and be converted. He says that your sins may be blotted out. Now, I want you to go back to Jeremiah chapter 31. There are many passages we could go to. Uh, in the Old Testament regarding the the blotting out of sins and the New Testament as well. Uh, Jeremiah 31 is a passage where we see the description of what is called the New Covenant. Okay, And uh, Jeremiah 31, if you start in verse 31, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now you notice here uh, in this passage, this new covenant has to do with those two kingdoms of Israel. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Verse 32, as he describes that covenant, that new covenant, it says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. This new covenant is not going to be like the old covenant. The old covenant, God says, I I kept my part of it, but they broke it. And so this new covenant is not going to be like that. In fact, the new covenant is not going to be a covenant that can be broken by man. Because it doesn't require anything from man. Uh, The old covenant that God made with Israel, if you remember when he brought them out of Egypt, uh, he, he told Israel that if they kept the covenant, they would be a peculiar treasure, they would be a... a, a, a chosen people unto him. He told them they would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, right? Uh, but it was, that was dependent on their obedience to the covenant. The old covenant was a, a covenant of works. It was a covenant by which they, they as a nation, now I want that to be clear, they, the individual never got saved by any works whatsoever, but the nation received blessing or cursing from God based on their obedience or lack thereof, all right? But you see, this new covenant isn't going to be like that. In verse 33, it says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord. And I want you to notice here that with this covenant, God says all the things he's going to do, and he doesn't give them anything to do. All right? That's why they can't break it. That's why it's not going to be like the covenant of the law. Usually when we think of a covenant or a contract... um, you know, you would have things both sides would do. But in this covenant, God is just simply going to say what he's going to do. He says, middle of verse 33, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, there that's just a different way to say what Peter says there in Acts chapter 3, that he will blot out their iniquity, um, that he will blot out their sins. Here he says they won't remember it anymore. 
And you notice as, as you come down through there, it's all about what God is going to do. Now here he's, he's addressing this in Jeremiah 31. He's addressing that to the nation of Israel, the, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And he says that uh, he's going to put his law in their inward parts. He says that he's going to forgive their iniquity and he's going to remember their sin no more. And it's all about what God is going to do for them. And that's what Peter is telling them here in Acts chapter 3 is available to them if they'll repent and be converted, is that God will, will uh, blot out their sins. Now, I want you to notice in here again, go back to Acts 3 and verse 19, that Peter here, just like in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching to individuals. He's certainly telling individuals here to repent. But mainly his message is a national message for Israel. Okay? And you can see that here in in Acts chapter 3, in verse 19, at the end of the verse. Because many people have a problem with this verse. They wind up twisting it to, to say all the kinds of things that it doesn't say, instead of just believing what the verse says. Because the verse says, let's read it again, Acts 3 verse 19 says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When? When you, at the moment you believe? No, it says when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And that times of refreshing is a reference to the kingdom that was coming for Israel. You see, it connects that kingdom in verse 20 with the coming of Jesus Christ. It says he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. Now, the times of refreshing and the times of restitution of all things, that's the same time it's describing there. And he says that... that, uh, this time, when this times of refreshing will come from the Lord, that's when God is going to send Jesus because heaven is going to receive Jesus until the times of restitution of all things. Well, why, why does it only receive him until then? Because that's when he comes out of heaven and comes back to the earth and, and restores all things, you see? Um, and, and so, while again, while Peter is preaching to individuals here, his message is a national message. The individual. When the individual, when the individual Israelite here who hears Peter's message, and actually we're going to see the response here in Acts 3 is even greater than the response in Acts chapter 2. Those individuals, their sins were forgiven the moment they believed on Christ. Their sins were forgiven, their sins were blotted out. But the nation's sins are not blotted out. The the sins of the nation are not blotted out until those times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord, until the time of restitution of all things. Because the nation, at this point, remember where, where the nation is at prophetically, they are coming to the time where they are ready to go through that tribulation period where the nation is tried and purged and judged. But what he tells them is, again, that if they repent, if they're converted, that their sins will be blotted out, that the times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, that Christ will be sent back to them. Not sent back to them, as he said in chapter 2, to make his enemies his footstool, but sent back to them to restore all things and to bring in that kingdom, to, to be that everlasting refuge for them. That same name of Christ that was able to take that lame man and make him walk can take you and your wickedness and sin and give you life and you can have safety and hope and refuge in him. And what a, what a good thing it is to know we're not in the same circumstances that Israel was here as, as uh, Peter is preaching to them. We're not a, a part of that nation. 
But certainly, just as that nation of Israel was in sin and rebelliousness and wickedness toward God, that's our natural state. That's, that's just what comes naturally to us. But just like Israel here has that opportunity to have a part in the glorification of Christ, to, to have refuge in Him and for their sins to be blotted out, we have the opportunity to be saved in Christ. In a sense, we're the slayers as well. Because it was our sin as much as Israel's sin that put Christ to death on the cross. But like Israel has that opportunity to flee for refuge, to, to, uh, not to a, you know, an earthly physical city, but to, to be found in Christ and have refuge in him, that's the offer that's available to sinners today. And, you know, if, if you're sitting here today and you know that you're a, a sinner before God, somebody whose sins has, have not been forgiven, have not been blotted out, understand that the work that was needed for your salvation was completed in what Christ did on the cross. When he died on the cross and paid for your sins, he didn't leave anything out. He paid for it all. When he rose from the dead, he made it possible for us to have eternal life uh, in him. And it's simply a matter of, of faith. It's simply a matter of of repentance or a a change of mind to believe what Christ did. As long as we trust in our own works, we're always going to fall short. We're going to fall short by our own standard, um, and even more so by God's perfect standard. But when we trust in Christ and trust in his perfect work that never fails, that's where there's hope. That's where there's refuge. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.